Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game-changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rabona podcast. Once again, I'm Musa Kwonga, joined by Ryan Hahn and Michael De Silva to discuss a momentous week of events on and off the field. We're going to talk about City Chelsea, Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid in the Madrid derby. But also we're going to hear from the wonderful James Montague about the case of Hakim al the Bahraini footballer who's been detained in Thailand and threatened being sent back to Bahrain. So we're going to discuss all of that. We're going to start with City Chelsea. Can I do admin before we go? Yeah, why not, Ryan? Get in. <laughs> Quick one. As ever, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating and a review, preferably five stars. Five stars, five stars, five stars. Subscribe. Six if possible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also, just some stuff that's on the website. We're going to have, Moose is going to have a piece up t- on Tuesday. Hopefully, if you're listening to this by then, you will have read it. Wonderful. And I had a new piece up about El Clasico, where it's going. Um, with some references to Star Wars and Batman. Always welcome. <laughs> Finally, some content for football, comic-loving Star Wars fans. Yes, because it's not as if we don't have any yeah. Marvel references in this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> I, you know, I thought I'd give DC a shout-out this time. <laughs> We've been waiting a long time for this. Um, yeah, and we're going to have some more stuff up. So, yeah, check the website. Absolutely, check it. But before you check it, please <laughs> listen it. to our musings. <laughs> check yourself. No, 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 no. Um, our musings on City Chelsea. We have to start there, really, don't we? Yeah, we should. What a mauling, eh? 6 0. Oh, do you know what? It's nice to talk about someone getting stuffed by City 6 0 and it not being Arsenal. Or United, the 6 1. Or just, you know, anyone getting stuffed 6 0 in the Premier League and not being Arsenal. Was it, was it City being outrageously good back in form or was it Chelsea digging deeper into the hole they're in? I've got a confession. Do it. I thought it kicked off at half past. <laughs> and someone replied to you. Yeah, yeah, so did Chelsea. So did Chelsea. Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, was like, and then I had to watch the first half hour again uh, afterwards. But from when I turned it on, Chelsea looked great. Was it already? It was 4-0 when I turned yeah, it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Chelsea were brilliant for the rest of the first half. Yeah. I thought Gundogan, by the way, was um, superb in that game. He doesn't always get the, 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 the praise he deserves. He started every game since City lost to Newcastle. Right. And City's performances have improved since and... I think it's at least partly down to him kind of knitting everything together and bringing the best out of um, uh, Sterling and Aguero. I think he really involves them in a way that they're not so capable of when he doesn't play. So, yeah, I just want to praise him. I thought it was great. But yeah, City were amazing from top to bottom. Him and Fernandinho are really good together in that midfield as well, Mm. I think. It's a great combo. Yeah, it just really keeps is. the ball moving, like yeah. one, two touch on the move. It's like, you know, like it's just yeah. this, this kind of gift. It doesn't really show up that much in the stats. But if I mention Iniesta again, because I love Iniesta, there was a great stat when Andre Gomez was in his sort of ill-fated 
time at uh, at Barca, and they had a stat, and it was forward passes per ninety minutes. And Iniesta was off the scale. I think he was like, I think he, had, he averaged like twenty more forward passes per ninety minutes than anyone else in that sort of mm. in the midfield, sort of um, in the squad. And I think that Gundogan has a similar quality. It may not always be forward, but it's just there needs to be a stat. I'm sure there's a stat. Actually, we can get this in a moment about people that play the ball like within a certain time of getting it. Like, you know, how quickly they play the ball after receiving it and complete a pass. So I suppose there could be a stat for quickest pass completion. Mm. And Gundogan must just be off the scale with that because yeah. his but then, ability... But then, um, contrastly, he seems, yeah. to, he seems to always have time on the ball. It's, it's kind of... It doesn't seem... Well, they run together, though, but they run together because I remember reading, and I can't remember who the, um, the journalist was who got this out of Ozil, but Ozil said... Someone he said whenever they play Meza Ozil... You don't understand what he does off the ball. Yeah. He throws fakes before receiving possession. That's why <laughs> mm. he's always in space. That's yeah. these players have so many fakes that we don't see as yeah. amateurs. Yeah. Like there are so many body movements, shoulder movements. Yeah. And so when someone at like Beckham has time, it's because he's thrown somebody off. Mm. So actually, one thing I've started doing watching highlights of these players is to watch not the player receiving the ball, but the players around them yeah. and where they start running because that reveals what's being done before. Pirlo was uh, perhaps the master of that. Right. Right. Yeah. There's a. I mean. And Herrera said, actually, on that tip before we get going, we're going to put that up as a bonus podcast later we in the are. week. We I are. forgot to mention that in the admin. And um, the Herrera interview content. Because we've got up, so soon. much on the show today, we thought we'd leave that. So that's going to go up Thursday. But he, yeah, like he said, you know, decision making is the most important part of playing central midfield. And that's a reason why really good central midfielders are always in space uh-huh. because it's not an easy thing to do. No. You think you're playing at that absolute top level where against the best defenders in the world and against the best midfielders in the world and you're always in space. Always. Mm. It's not, not every team can be that bad at picking up a midfielder. It's mm. because they're that good. And yeah. also you look at like someone like Ilkay Gundogan, you know, not the biggest, not the quickest, not the most kind of dynamic. If he's just, a, just an amazing footballer. I think Pep Guardiola sees a lot of himself in Gundogan. Yeah. A guy who is, uh, is strong, robust when he has to be, but also has that really gentle touch of the ball as well and, and vision that, that he possessed. So, I mean, yeah, that was exactly what Pep was like as a midfielder. Exactly. Like went under the radar quite a lot of the time yeah. because of the players that who were playing with him at Barca. Yeah. But go back and look at old Guardiola highlights now and he, he could walk into any number of teams now. This is sound like a silly example, but I'll name it. So Guardiola was in this Nike advert. Do you ever the one that Edgar Davis and they, I think they steal the ball from the from the museum. Mm-hmm. This is sorry for that. Sorry for the younger crowd listening. But the reason why pre-internet that, guys. The reason why that <laughs> advert. The reason why that advert completely sums up Guardiola's career and Gundogan's time at City. And I want to mention it is because the entire advert is full of all these players doing these incredible skills. But Guardiola does one touch and it stands out. And it's because the ball drops way out of the sky. And Guardiola basically got his foot planted on the ground. He's in the middle of this museum. And he controls the ball one touch. Like the ball bounces out of the sky, drops out of the sky. And he controls the, he controls the ball with his foot planted on the ground. Guardiola could control the ball like that if it dropped from a crane. And that's what I mean. Like it's the one skill which is not fancy. It's just touch. And in many ways, actually, the more football I watch, and I'm almost 40 now, the more football I watch, the more I'm blown away by the simple... The simple touches, that makes sense. The first touch on the run, yeah. like the messy touch when he nutmegs Philippe Luis mm-hmm. in, the, uh, in the game mm. against uh, Atleti a few weeks ago. That kind of thing, like where it's like Gundogan receiving the ball and opening his body and all yeah. of a sudden, or like Bernardo Silva, who we have to talk about as well. Bernardo yeah. Silva, yeah. another player who will not really always show up on the stat charts, but whose ability to find space, mm. reverse passes, dropping deep, receiving from centre-backs, mm. it's just... He's a, a very strong shout for player of the year, in my opinion, Bernardo Silva. Yeah, it's crazy. I, 
I just want to say this with City, they have maybe six playmakers who could run the team with mm. equal intensity. Yeah. One of them's Edison. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's, that's true. a weird thing. <laughs> Pep's dream has finally yeah. come to fruition. I mean, we have to sort of say Aguero's name because he got a hat-trick and had an astonishingness as well. But... Do you know what, though, and, actually? And, on... Sorry, and Sterling on. too, by the way. Yeah, Sterling yeah. was sick. Like yeah. Sterling, and, and he was amazing last week against Arsenal as well. Mm. He got so much stick from the crowd in the stadium and he was absolutely well, brilliant. That's why he gets the like, stick, because yeah, he's dangerous. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I think he's really improved is that Lampard quality where he's able to time his run and make sure he's finishing those chances it wasn't I felt like at Liverpool and in his early days at City he was always a bit too almost a bit too eager and it's like Pep Guardiola has kind of taught him that you know just pick your moment you know to make those runs yeah I think him and him and Aguero have definitely gone up another level under Guardiola so as good as City were Chelsea were equally as bad Apart from that second period in the second half, when it was four 0 <laughs> when it was four 0 they they were really good. I'm starting to worry for Sarri, to be honest. Um, I think usually if a coach is under pressure in his debut season at Chelsea, I usually feel a bit sorry for them. But in this respect, I think Sarri has he's failed to learn from his mistakes. It's maybe a bit too premature to talk about him being fired, but he needs to learn quick. They've gone a bit Bournemouth. Lost 4-0, won 5-0, lost 6-0. Right. I've made this point before and I'll make it again, that he's playing Kante in the wrong place. He's playing Kante too far up the field. I know that Kante is actually better in that position than we all thought he would be, but he it's is. Not the point. Yeah, exactly. yeah, he is. You know, he's he won the Premier League with Leicester and then again with Chelsea next season because of his and the World Cup, by the way, for being an unbelievable defensive midfielder. And he shouldn't be playing high up the pitch or in wide positions. You know, for me, he needs to. I don't know. Like maybe I'm oversimplifying it here, but Jorginho needs to come out of the team. Um, Kante needs to step back, and then Kovacic and Barkley need to take control of the midfield. Right. I think one of the things that Kante's so good at, though, is how good he makes other people around him. So if you move him out of that, you know, I kind of use that FIFA ultimate team thing when you have the chemistry lines between other players. Mm. If you move Kante over to where he's playing, it just like brings the chemistry right down because yeah. you've seen it with Pogba at the World Cup, you've seen it at Leicester with Danny Drinkwater, and you saw it at Chelsea last season like, and the season before. He, he makes other people's jobs around him a lot easier. Yeah, and absolutely. the first time they did that, I think it was against West Ham at at the beginning of the season and it was by and it was the first time West Ham picked up points I think at the London Stadium and it looked weird then and it's weird that four or five months later we're still talking about this conundrum because mm. as well as it, ha- it I think it has worked in certain games mm. for sure but every game it's not going to work and it that- works against teams that are unable to press as effectively as basically the top teams can yeah um, and I think well, we've seen it obviously with with City here and Guardiola, but I think Eddie Howe showed it best. You know, if you close Jorginho down the moment he gets the ball, and Bournemouth have got some really athletic forwards that are able to do that, you're going to shut uh, Chelsea down at source. And Spurs achieved it as well. And yeah, I just I think for someone who arrived at Chelsea with such a big reputation, I'm I'm kind of shocked that Sarri hasn't seen what the problem is and fixed it. He has seen it. This is the problem. He's seen it and he's dogmatic. I mean, you're right. He's seen yeah. it. But this thing, it's almost like um, we draw a parallel. Well, I can draw a parallel between the Euro 2012 final where Spain beat Italy 4-0 mm. and Pirlo basically then is Jorginho now, where you just flood the midfield with players that can press you out of sight. Mm. You attack the one passing outlet. This is not rocket science. And then you just nuke it. I mean, there, there's a context in which Jorginho could really work, but he could only really work if you've got players shuttling either side, if you like a kind of Marquisio or Sadov or, uh-huh. or Vidal. If you don't have those players, 
you will get blown away routinely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I want before we move on out of the Premier League, I want to give a shout out to Man United. Um, oh, well, that's very kind of you. Up into fourth, <coughs> good win on the weekend. I want to give a shout out to Anthony Martial, whose goal was stone cold, finish, unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. The brother Muzone of the Premier League. Yes, he is. He is brother Muzone, no doubt, no <laughs> doubt. And what I love about Martial is not just the skill, but the power. Like, you know, when he, when he was being buffeted by the centre-back, like chasing back, and he managed to shrug him off, come back in, and then put it in the corner. I mean, mm. glorious finish. I should mm. clarify that that brother Muzone comparison was based on... When we were watching the Arsenal-Man United game, where we spent the last 10 minutes talking about which Man United squad members were Characters people in the wire. Yeah. <laughs> and Martial, he is like that, though. He's like brutally dangerous yeah. in situations like that. And you, and again, another example of a player who is thriving under Solskjaer. He might end up getting a permanent job, Solskjaer. I wouldn't be surprised. I but we said, will. I think we said this though when we did the bonus podcast after Marino got fired. It was like the worst scenario really is that United do really well and Solskjaer keeps the job. Yeah. Really. I think it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen actually more and more. He could be your, uh, he could be your pep. But like Barca era pep. And you know, when the draw came out for the Champions League, Moussa and I both said, PSG, easy. Ryan, you were the only one who batched United at that point. But it's now, good. now it's, yeah, I mean, uh, to be fair, injured. at that time, there weren't the injuries that they have and United were I still know. being led by Mourinho. But yeah, I, I think now you've got to look at, uh, especially with the game coming at Old Trafford, I think United are going to fancy their chances. It just seems to be very much a square peg in square hole situation at United now. Everyone looks balanced. Yeah. Looks like they're playing the, the right position. Looks yeah. like they're having a good time. Mm. And yeah, I mean, actually there was a question. We're going to come on to questions later, but one of the questions that came back this week was someone responding saying, back at Chelsea, question mark, with a gif of jo- Jose Mourinho. <laughs> yes. So I actually responded saying, fingers crossed. <laughs> is that bad yeah. not okay. at all alright so to Madrid indeed what a game it's huh. so, so good that you watched it above the Arsenal game I did I did I, I decided to watch the Madrid derby over Huddersfield Arsenal which <laughs> was quite the decision so because it was a dreadful game <laughs> 3-1 to Real Madrid uh, at the Wanda Metropolitano and the funny thing about this game is that I think that actually in all these zombie apocalypse movies you have the zombies they're all like wearing dark clothes and they've got their they should just be wearing all white as Real Madrid are the zombie they're the ultimate zombie apocalypse football team they just keep coming they are the white walkers Mm. they just keep coming well let's take it back a step because it seems like three months ago they were dead they were dead in the water that's what I mean that's what they're zombies they come at you well they're up to second now yeah Um, so they are creeping creeping back what's Solari What's his, I mean, I think there's a bit of the kind of Solskjaer effect, you know, bringing a guy who's been at the club, knows about it, can kind of instill a bit more of that feeling of pride that it means to play for a club like Real Madrid. But I don't know if it, pride was really the problem. I, I'm, They're just, this is the thing. They're technically the most gifted footballers on the planet. This is it. They've got such a deep squad. And here's the thing, Madrid, with that level of technical ability, are going to create chances. Yeah. They're just going to create chances. Um, and they're not that far off the lead. Barca are struggling and Barca actually, weirdly, are less balanced. Yeah. They're less balanced than Madrid. Yeah. You look at uh, Coutinho in the game against Athletic Bilbao, created nothing. It was a difficult game for everyone. But Coutinho is such a strange player in the Barca setup because he doesn't knit the, de- the team together. Whereas, by contrast, you have Modric, who is behind all the good stuff that Real do in attack and midfield and defence, quite frankly. And they're resurgent. And they're getting goals from anywhere. I also think Vinicius is a massive part of that. 
He big... when he first came in, he looked very, very raw. But he's what, eighteen years old, mm. and um, I didn't see him play Castillo. But he was he apparently was the, the thing that apparently is really great about him. Something that I like about him, but he was like that before he came into the first team. Was that he just he's super brave. It's brave, yeah, yeah, super mm. brave, and just he seems like a real like. He's got a real uh, confidence. Like even when he came off on 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 the weekend, um, when he was kind of getting up, celebrating, kind of like you know, seems like a real team guy, squad guy, mm. and, and seems to be in a weird way ready to lead. And we've said it before about I think I kind of on the piece that I wrote about Benzema last week for the site about how you know Real Madrid have lost a, an alpha in Cristiano Ronaldo mm. in their front line. And Benzema hasn't really stepped up yet. He's got the opportunity to, but he hasn't yet. But, you know, maybe actually someone like Vinicius could be the guy who, I mean, he's still got a lot to learn and he's very, very brilliant one minute and then a little bit erratic the next minute. But it's understandable. You know, the weird thing is, I'm not even sure how raw he is. I think he's just a winger. I I don't mean in terms of, of course, there's space to to grow of course but like if he adds finishing yeah. to his game for example he's going to be exactly. unbelievable like he's actually like an, he attacks space you know like Dembele does as well at um and, and Malcolm to an extent at Barca they just see a gap and they explode into it mm. and that is the thing the, this constant desire to attack is not something which all wingers have actually I think it's something that's been slightly coached out of players in mm. a possession based game you know wait for the combination but some like Vinicius, it's thrilling. And mm. all, you saw Inaki Williams against Barca. Inaki oh. Williams, um, oh my goodness. La Liga player of the month for January, by the way, Inaki Williams. I mean, I love Sergio Busquets as a player, but he had a the, tough things, the things that yeah. Inaki was doing to poor Sergio out there, I mean, my well, goodness. Well, the things that Vinicius was doing to Arias as well on the weekend, I mean, he had a horrible, horrible After the afternoon. After and, the and I was kind of hoping in a weird, I mean, it was, it was the weekend where they started demolishing the Vicente Calderon. Right. And... Since they've moved to the Wonder, they're yet to beat Real Madrid. Atletico are yet to beat Real Madrid mm-hmm. at home. Um, and I thought this was like a. Oh, wouldn't this be poetic if it was like the, the weekend that they started work to get rid of the Calderon? They finally got that win, but yeah. and it looked like they for the opening ten minutes they were by far the better team, Atletico. Yeah. Um, and then for the goal, Casemiro scored with four men trying to jump with Sergio Ramos on a corner, and then equalised, but. It was just after that they kind of just didn't really do much. I mean, can I get into this? I want, I want um, this thing about Real and because you mentioned Ramos and we have to talk about Ramos. Mm. This guy is like some Tony Soprano figure. Like just when you think he's done, like he tries the office politics, he gets Lopetegui in, he gets Lopetegui in. You know he was partly behind that. Lopetegui goes out. Ramos looks like he's more really than partly behind it. Right, I think. Ramos's yeah. form is really struggling just a few months ago, and now Ramos is like the ultimate undead footballer. Mm-hmm. He's scoring foot. He's scoring uh, um, penalties in vital games. He's playing out of his skin again. A zombie in chief. Oh my god! Do you know what? Right? Have you ever played like those <laughs> old games, like Re- Resident Evil? Yes. And stuff like that. Yeah. And you know, there's like hyper zombies who you think you've killed them and yes. you walk off and then all of a sudden they're like there in front of <laughs> yes, you. Yes, yes. That's like Ramos. It's Ramos. <laughs> it is Ramos. Because you think he, yeah, yeah, there were signs of like his form dipping off and you yeah. think that maybe a new coach might move it on, move in a new direction. And he's like, I mean, look at the people that he has outlasted at that football club. Unbelievable. Right? He's still there, still captain the and still ulti- looks yeah. like he's got years to go. Yeah, fuel in the tank, right? I just think, I mean, I, I know, you know, Ramos is, he divides opinion to say it the least, but he is such an extraordinary athlete, footballer. Like, you know, from the psychological, if you look at like a, gr- a truly great athlete and the combination, the mental strength of someone like a kind of Michael Jordan, he has that, you know, and the technical ability, you watch his like Instagram, he's taking 
free kicks, putting them top corner against Courtois. And then he's moonwalking on like some like late night TV show, like perfectly. This guy just has the full complement of athletic and sort of psychological gifts. It's, he's, he's a complete marvel. And whether you love him or hate him, I suspect most listeners will probably hate him. Um, but yeah, he's extraordinary. He's one of those guys that if he plays for your side, you love him. Yeah. You know, if he doesn't, then... My goodness. There's not, I can't imagine there's a lot of people who aren't Real Madrid fans who go, do you know who I really like? Sergio Ramos. I mean, you wouldn't invite him for canapes, would you? If but the thing is, of, though, know. he's probably the kind of guy who in that environment is just the sweetest, loveliest guy. Yeah. 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 He'll come ones. on the podcast yeah. and be like, oh my God, wasn't Sergio nice? Yeah. <laughs> he'll, have, he'll have goodie bags for us. Then we'll be, then we'll be disgusted at ourselves yeah. because we'll, 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 be, we'll, get, we'll get into the kind of the star quality of it. We'll be like, oh my God, wow, we'll be so Sergio Ramos on the podcast. But that's yeah. like the Soprano thing's yeah. a massive shout because it's like you're in the pocket. Do you know what I mean? You get in there, they get you in the pocket, you know? No doubt. Um, should we, anything else or should we take a one break? Quick thing on, one quick thing I want to say before um, we move on from the, the derby. Avar Morata, who I really root for because he just seems like a lovely man. He seems like a lovely man who happens to be a footballer. Like quite a few people, but him especially. Kind of and guy he, that might help you out at the supermarket if you're a, if you're an old lady with your shopping, maybe. Right. I always, oh. I've always said. What, yeah. a, what, a, what an original <laughs> viewpoint. Thank you. No, that's exactly, that's exactly that kind of do. And he basically scored a beautiful goal. It was narrowly offside in the derby. It was so good. Game. Yeah. A beautiful goal. The touch. Goal. That ball came from a height and over his shoulder. Right. Against Ramos, <laughs> yeah. who took out of the game with a single touch and then lobbed yeah. Courtois. It was really good. And then beat Ramos on the line again. But and he then, was a shade offside. Yeah, and it was, was, it was so like cruel. a fingernail offside, though. I really want him to do well. I think it will work out for Morata because he's, he has got the right mentality and he's, I think, being coached. I want to get him he's on the been, podcast. He's been Can coached by right lovely. I want to get him on the podcast. Um, before such a nice we do man. move on, the banner behind Courtois calling him a arata <laughs> from the Atleti fans. Well, if anyone's seen Narcos. I think you all know what that means. Oh my goodness. And then the Atleti fans threw loads of cuddly toy rats. Were they cuddly? <laughs> well, they were, they were fluffy. They weren't actual rats. Good stuff. Right. Should take a break and then speak to James. Absolutely. We're very honoured today on the Run of Podcast to be joined by the great James Montague, who's written a piece on... Hakim El Arabi and the affair with Bahrain, the to and fro with the Thai authorities and the Bahraini government and the international footballing community. And the good news is that Mr. El Arabi is on his way back to Australia, where he has refugee status. But James is here to give us the context about what's been happening in Bahrain and in this case in particular. James, welcome. You're joining us from, is it Belgrade? Belgrade, yeah. Thanks for having me on. No, it's our absolute pleasure. And You just heard a few hours ago that, that he, he looks like he's, I mean, never take anything for granted until he's on that plane. But... Right. It looks like he's going to be okay. Fingers crossed for him, fingers crossed. And you wrote a superb essay on this for the Blizzard, but you've also been covering this issue quite widely um, over the last few years. So could you give us the backdrop to what's been happening? Yeah, I mean, Hakim Al-Arabi is a football player. I mean, he's, he's basically a kind of semi-professional player in Australia. But back, you know, back 10 years ago, he was part of a kind of youth setup and a kind of a, a kind of pool of players in Bahrain, which is a tiny, tiny Gulf kingdom. Um you know, at the time it had maybe a population of a million people um, that just massively overachieved as a country. It almost got to two World Cup finals in 2006, 2010, missed out in the playoffs by just one goal in both times. And somehow this, this very small place was producing this huge quantity of players. And what was interesting is, I, I mean, I, went, I lived in the Gulf and I went to Bahrain from the mid-2000s onwards. And it's a very... Uh, it's a place that's had a basically it's kind of been at war with itself 
uh, ever since independence in 1971. It's a very unusual place in the Gulf, uh, which is mostly run by Su Sunni uh, Muslim autocrats. Um, and Bahrain is different because it has a majority of the population are Shia. So there was a sectarian element to conflicts taking place. And there was a, there was a massive uprising in the 1990s. But this national football team was very special because it had members from both communities. And the Shia, because the royal family of uh, the caliphs in Bahrain are Sunni, the, the, the kind of army, all the organs of state, all the business, basically the, the Shia are kind of a put down majority. But the national football team was something different. It was very much a symbol of unity and it was very much used as a symbol of unity and people were very proud of that. So you had Shia and Sunni player. I spoke to several Bahraini players over the years that told me that players would would pray their different rights together in the dressing room at games. Wow. Um, which is, uh, you didn't see that really in any other forum in Bahraini society. So you had this national football team that was incredibly popular. Footballers were, you know, inspired. Young people were inspired, including a young Hakim Al Arabi, who was a defender. He got picked up um at the age of 16 to play for the under 17s team it looked like he was on a path to go you know all the way to the national team and be part of this kind of you know a freakish experiment in international football really i mean we now look at iceland as something where this happens with a very small population like how do you extract that amount of talent right. but bahrain has been doing it for you know for, for, for a few years um but then you have this huge you know event which is the arab spring takes place and uh all of that work is destroyed when there is an uprising on I mean, we're very close to the anniversary on it on february the 14th the sunni royal family is obviously terrified it's going to be you know overthrown so there's a violent brutal crackdown and caught up in all of this are the country's leading sportsmen and women who have all been you know at those protests and so they all get uh, arrested they are uh, identified on television a committee is set up essentially by the son of the king which is going to be headed by sheikh salman who is a character we now know as the head of the asian football confederation and stood against gianni infantino in the 2016 fifa election yeah ideally to pinpoint and uh, and identify and then punish uh, these international footballers so you had three international footballers in particular Allah Hubail, uh, Mohammed Hubail, his brother, two of the top scorers of all time in Bahraini football, and Saeed Mohammed Agnan, who was a, I saw him play a couple of times, really had the ability to play in Europe. It was a fantastic kind of engine in midfield. And uh, these guys' careers were basically completely destroyed. And Hakim Al Arabi found himself in prison during this period whilst playing in between uh, national team games, largely because his brother was a, was a famous. Uh, Shia activist, political activist, who had already been in prison for long periods in the 1990s in the previous crackdown. Um, and because of this, his family, he alleges, was was basically targeted uh, as the security situation kind of deteriorated. So he found himself in jail, um, but continued to play, you know, football and continued to be picked for the national team. Good. And what's very interesting is that Bizarre. in 2013, he gets chosen to to play for the, for the full national team, even though he's seen as an undesirable uh, and his family are seen as kind of undesirably, politically undesirable family. He gets picked for the national team by Anthony Hudson, who's a, a you might have come across him. He's a kind of English coach. He went on to coach in, uh, I think he, he was kind of mentored by Harry Redknapp. I think he, he went to New Zealand and was coaching there. One of those sort of uh, wandering he, coaches. Yeah, yeah. One of those wandering coaches, but young wandering coaches. He's, 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 he's in the US now, in MLS. Yeah. 
And he ends up picking him and they go to their first major tournament, which is the West Asian Football Confederation uh, uh, Championships. And it's while he's there, he finds out that he has actually been convicted for 10 years of uh, helping to firebomb a police station outside Manama. My God. Um, and so he goes into Anthony Hudson's office and speaks to him and says, look, I, I, this, uh, I haven't done this, but I've just been convicted for 10 years in prison. I can't go back. They will torture me. They will kill me. What happens next is he gets frog marched to the airport to be taken back. To what God knows what future would, would uh, be in front of him in Bahrain. I think we can But when the Bahrain that, EFA yeah. turned their backs, he snuck out, managed to get to a safe house with a friend in uh, Doha, and eventually managed to get himself to Iran and then had a, a crazy three-month journey that eventually took him to Iraq, Malaysia. I mean, crazy that Iraq would be a place of sanctuary for him. Of course. Um, in yeah. 2010. And then uh, gets, him, gets himself to Australia, where he's eventually given political um, asylum, which is, if anyone's been watching what's happening in Australia at the moment, is incredibly difficult with yes. how their immigration system Right, the entire to... island out there, right. There's an island full of people exactly. seeking asylum, right. Now, listening to you and thinking about this, do you know when we see, like, footballers who've got families and repressive regimes... And we often say in the Western community, oh, why doesn't this footballer speak out? And I often think to myself, yeah, but that, that, that footballer still has family back home. Like, you know what I mean? The stakes are so high and we often don't appreciate oh. that as a kind of Western-facing audience. Well, just absolutely. What does that make and sense? It, absolutely. And his, his bro remember, his brother is still in prison right? Uh, if, for, the, for, this, for this crime and has alleged torture on several occasions before. I went to Australia to meet Said Mohammed Adnan, uh, one of these, one of the most talented players in the squad. He was at the Brisbane Roar. So after he'd been arrested and tortured, he'd escaped to Australia, was playing um, in the A League. He didn't want, he didn't want to speak to me at all because he knew, you know, the, the people at the club said they won't speak because they know their families will be harmed. And when I asked Hakim about this, when I interviewed him, he said. You know, if I was there, I wouldn't say a damn thing. Yeah, of course. Because why would I? Because it just I, it would be me being tortured. And the whole reason he's even there, he's been denounced by this confession um, for, for this incident in front of the police station, was that his, his brother was tortured and alleges that he was tortured, and that's how they extracted their confession. And the biggest lie during this entire uh, kind of series of events that have taken place in Thailand was the Bahrain government saying, you know, he should come back, stand trial, we have a fair justice system, judiciary is independent. All of that is lies. The person who, the judge who put, uh, who convicted Hakim in the first place is a member of the Khalifa royal family. Uh, there is no uh, independent judiciary in right. Bahrain, like in much of the Gulf. You are, you know, you, you are not likely to get a fair trial, especially for a political crime. So, um, you know, it's 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 amazing that it's worked out that he's got out because it's. But you have to remember that for him being out of prison and being safe and getting back to Australia, you know, that back home, his you know his his closest family members are still in jail. Absolutely, yeah. uh, James. It's Ryan here. I just wanted to ask you something more on the, I suppose, the football side of it in a way. Not wanting to speculate, but I was wondering because this seemed to go so under the radar in terms of international coverage for so long. Do you see or do you feel maybe that Bahrain has learnt from the coverage that this has got in order to move forward from a football sense? Do you, do you think they will learn any lessons from this or potentially even change tact, if you know, moving forward? These institutions with 
particularly in a country like Bahrain, and this is the same in many respects to the UAE and Saudi Arabia, they, they will not admit they're wrong. They will not change anything. They, they feel that they're in a kind of existential fight for their existence post-Arab Spring. That's why this kind of state crackdown has taken place. And in a, in a footballing sense, I mean, you can already see that whatever glue that was holding those players together, which was extracting an incredible uh, level of performance out of them. I mean, I was in Manama watching Bahrain play New Zealand in the first leg of the final uh, World Cup playoff before uh, 2010, you know, and (laughs) they were absolute, they they ripped New Zealand to pieces. I know it's New Zealand and you can say, yeah, whatever, but they had, um, in the previous round, I saw them beat Saudi Arabia with an injury time. It's one of the most incredible three minutes of football I've ever seen. Mm. It's unbelievable. And when you see that and you see how they've fared since, um, you can tell that they haven't learned any of, of those lessons. Um, they've, they've destroyed what it was that was, I think, raising that team to a different level. Of course, it's personalities, it's, tr- it's training. Uh, they were blessed to have a, a spine of a team in the, in the kind of late 2000s you know, of some of the, of Asia's best players, they 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 did have those, and those players aren't coming through anymore. But you know, if you're a young kid like like Hakim was desperate to play for Bahrain, and he saw those players as his heroes. Right. If you're a young Shia kid from a, a village outside Manama, what interest are you going to have playing for the regime that's mm. tortured your family or tortured your friends' family? You'll have none, and so they've not learned a thing. And you can tell by the level of performance, I think, that that's true. I mean, look at what when Peter Taylor takes over. Um, you know, they had a miserable World Cup uh, campaign. I mean, they did get to the Asia Cup but this uh, in January, but it was an expanded uh, qualification, so it was, it was much easier. So they should have been easily qualifying for that. But they've, they've you know, essentially destroyed a very beautiful thing. I mean, James, this is, um, I mean, it's... Uh... Absolutely harrowing the detail. I suppose the one cause for optimism we have going forward is that the international footballing community, and I think in particular sort of the players' associations, really got behind this and helped mobilise support both online and offline. Um, to close, what would you say to that same community in future when these cases come up? What do you think we can do to be more proactive in our support of people like um, Hakim, you know, male or female footballers going forward? What can we do to support them? Well, I think this this is a Really great example. I mean, I'm not an, I'm not an activist. I'm a journalist, and this was just a story for me. Finding out this story was, was clearly something that had gone wrong. It needed to be righted. So, the person who I think you know, if you look at like Craig Foster, for instance, former Aussie captain, who's gone. I mean, he has tirelessly and like a dog with a bone gone about this. Got taking himself to Thailand. Um, I, I know that it's in Australia, so we don't often see the the kind of what's going on over there culturally but this has been the biggest story one of the biggest stories in australia over the past month like this is this is like you know the equivalent of you know six o'clock news every night so what it proves is that you know this this kind of activism works if you know this was uh, there was a couple of years ago when i was working for cnn and i interviewed a a kind of French Algerian player who had been stuck. Well, there's a couple of internationals been stuck in Qatar. Right. Yeah. I interviewed them, and that started off a whole kind of series. And I worked with James Masters there, working yes. on the on on this story. And what was clear is at the beginning, you know, uh, people defer to the kind of establishment view, which is well, you know, uh, can't be done. Nothing can be done. You know, they say that these they've paid him. They say that he's broken his contract. He's saying that they hasn't. You know, 
which is true. You know, they, they want to make it like, well, we've got this evidence. And what's clear is that once you start, as long as you, you, you've got a hammer away at this because they're lying, you know, and I had the proof that they're lying. I had the proof that these people were lying. And what, it, what I think is very heartening that this kind of in this age of Trump and Brexit, where, you know, we're talking about the rise of ultranationalism and things like human rights seem like to be just being jettisoned as an important uh, aspect of foreign policy or even domestic policy. Yeah. You know, they, 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 this is somehow part of the kind of like a spineless liberal elite world order. These, these are globalist ideas. You know? <laughs> yeah. uh, we shouldn't be poking our nose into anybody's business. This, this has been so heartening to show that people, when faced with kind of real villainy and real unfair treatment of people who don't deserve it, regardless of where they're from. Yes. And the fact that this guy has an Arabic name, I think, is also proves that as people are good. You know, yes. as long, when they're presented with the facts of wrongdoing, they will they will be angry about that, no matter where that person's from. And they and the international football community, especially in Australia, especially because Craig Foster has got has, has shown, a, a, I think, a blueprint in how to really hold these people's feet to the fire. But there's other. I mean, look, Qatar World Cup. There's been a huge amount of negative publicity. All the reforms that have taken place in Qatar, and there have been many. For sure, there's more to be done. They have been dragged to that position as well by um, important figures talking about it, about journalists reporting on it. So it to me it's it's very heartening and it shows a blueprint in the future about if you want to stop people doing bad shit, this is this is how look at Craig Foster, look how he look how he mobilized people. That's wonderful. Well, James, do you know what? Um I know you don't call yourself an activist, but I think you're as close to an activist as a journalist could be, if that's fair, just because you do highlight these stories and put them on the agenda. So I want to thank you so much for this. Everyone, check out James's work on Twitter. He's at James P-I-O-T-R. His work is fantastic and he's one to watch. It's a pleasure to have you, Mr. Montague, and I hope to catch you soon in person. Thank you very much, sir. My man, take care. Right, we're back from the break. Guys, I've got some news. Oh my goodness, this what is, is big. You're not leaving us, are you? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, it's much bigger than that. Oh. <laughs> Sancho Corner is taking off. Really? We got a shout out this week. Shout out to StatZone. Yay, StatZone. <laughs> who tweeted at us with a load of Jaden Sancho stats from the Hoffenheim game. Oh, nice. Said they're looking forward to Sancho Corner on the excellent Rabona podcast oh, my goodness. this week. Right. <laughs> shout out to Please. StatZone. My goodness, shout out indeed. Please, what are the stats? Have you got any yeah, stats for us? Okay. Here are a few of them. So context, please. So Dortmund played Hoffenheim. Dortmund played Hoffenheim. Up. Yeah. Do you want to cover that bit or should I do stats first? I'll give the background. So okay. Dortmund played Hoffenheim, 3-0 up, cruising, 15 minutes to go. Sancho scored. Assisted one, and oh, then no, that's, that's in the stats. Oh, sorry. And then, uh, yeah, they threw it away. What happened? What was the final score? They drew three three. Yeah, um, three goals in the space of twelve minutes. Um, and yeah, really quite going to have. You know, they 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 drew, so they dropped two points, and uh, Bayern won, so their their lead has been cut to five points. Um, and if Dortmund don't win the league, I think I text you guys, it's going to be worse than Newcastle 96. Oof. You know, it's going to be because they've, they've been so dominant for so long. They haven't really thrown away points until this particular game. They have had some tough matches. But 
yeah, it's been a run of a few difficult games, um, but Bayern just keep winning. That's the thing. They're, they're zombies, so that's what they do. Yeah, but well, what's with the zombie? Not everyone can be a zombie. Listen, I'm trying to make this into a meme. Listen, can, can <laughs> listeners, <laughs> this is memes aren't easy. To, no, 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 listen, listen, listen. To, Hashtag to, to get difficult this stuff, memes. To get this stuff, to, listen, to get this stuff taking off, it requires that you got to like keep seeding the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah you've got you've got to be relentless so, well, with yeah, this. Yeah, work with me. All right, so I hit you with some stats. Do it. Jane Sancho versus Hoffenheim. Four shots, one goal. Mm. Two chances created. 46 of 50 pa- passes completed, which is 92%. For a forward. Yeah. That's nuts. 28 of 31 final third passes complete. And I, I should <sighs> say those that one has- again because that's, I think, the most impressive those are numbers. 28 of 31 final third passes completed, which is insane. And I should clarify that when StatZone tweeted this at us, they put in brackets a single exclamation point. Yeah. To highlight. So, and these are stats people, and they know their stats. Do you know um, what those numbers? Six, sorry, th- I haven't seen numbers like that since Hazard against us at um, Stamford Bridge yeah. when he destroyed us. Yeah. It was like ninety percent. Yeah. That that pass completion for attackers in the final third is off the scale. Yeah. Yeah. It is yeah. insane. And also, just to round up the stats, seven of nine take on successful. Sancho looked absolutely broken at full time, crestfallen because. He knew the shift he had put in yeah, personally. Right, yeah. um, he had contributed so much and even scored a goal that was offside before, mm. deflected off him before uh, he opened the scoring. He had a great game and he bounced back after a, a, a not so great game against Frankfurt. But not so great. These are just the high, high standards uh, that we've for come a to. a 19 year old. He's 18. He's 18. He's 19 in. Um, he's 19 in, in about six weeks' time. Oh my God. But do you know what I love about that? The fact that he was broken as a result of the game, right? What I love about that is he will always remember that big players, great players, which he will be, I think, at some point, if he carries on, hopefully free of injury, um, have to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. There were so many games where Cristiano Ronaldo was at United in those, those years, those early years, where yeah. actually Fulham was a good example, where he would just drag the team forward. Yeah. And that is what great players have to do to you win know, the marginal games. If Dortmund win the, the, the Bundesliga, and you have to say they're still pretty strong favourites to do so, um, it's crazy to think that Jadon Sancho, an 18-year-old, should will, be play the season. Will quite possibly. And if, will if have played win. will have played such a huge part in in, you know, alongside Marco Royce. Marco Royce though is a guy with, been with ten years, but Sancho's been better. Top level experience because Royce came. Royce was worked back in. Uh, Royce has been wonderful, yeah. but he's picked up speed. Whereas Sancho came in, yeah, like he was an instant chart. I would say it's definitely more of an achievement for Sancho to have reached those levels of of performance right. because Royce has been doing it year in year of out. Of course, of course, but this particular season, I would have said, yeah, he's amazing. So yeah, yeah shout out to Stat Zone. Go and get the app. Yeah. It's uh, yes. It's essential if you want to. It, do you know what it's really good for? If you ever want to win an argument, <laughs> I was going to say absolutely nothing. No, no, sorry. Do you know what I mean? What is it good for? It like? won me a Meza Özil argument once. Really? You know how happy that makes me. <laughs> My goodness. So shouts to stats. Gets you points in the it's on the uh, on the Apple Store. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, should we do some questions quick? Yep, yeah, yeah. Sure. We've had but, a few, right? Yeah. Um, we're going to do a couple. We haven't got time to do all of them, unfortunately. But thanks for sending them in. Keep sending them at Rabonamag on Twitter. I just shout out Joe Short, who asked the back to Chelsea question and put the gif of Mourinho copping his ear against Juve. <laughs> Cheers for that, Joe. Right, Scott Salter. Thoughts on Cardiff? This is, I thought this would be a good one because we don't really talk much about Cardiff. Uh, yeah. Probably the win of the weekend given the circumstances, that's fair. Yeah. Can yeah. Neil Warnock perform the impossible and keep them up? Well, I have to say, I think they're probably the most overperforming team Without in a the, doubt, in the Premier League, yeah. except for Spurs. So I think um, 
<laughs> I should have bleeped that out like all these swear words last week. Um, but yeah, I think um, I think Neil Warnock is defying all the odds. Everyone had them down as the um, as, as as prime candidates to go back down, maybe alongside Huddersfield. Um, so yeah, I think also the um, the Emiliano Sala um, incident has really kind of galvanized the club a little bit as well. Um, seems to have brought them together. Um, I think it put a lot of stuff into perspective, didn't it? It did because yeah. they were they were going on a bit of a bad run. Yeah, and they were very hyped about getting this guy in. And since our last show, they confirmed that he has died yeah. in that plane crash, which is terrible. And they they still haven't found the pilot, I believe, which yeah. is really sad. I can shout out to Kylian Mbappe who gave I think thirty thousand yeah. euros or pounds towards yeah. the towards finding the pilot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a few a few players did Adrian Rabiot and some other former players and I think even players that haven't played alongside yeah him I mean Messi donated for the search for can I say what was yeah. interesting about Emiliano Sala and you know may he rest in peace yeah. um, what's amazing about him is not just the outpouring of grief but people seem to know the dude so he was a well liked you know wasn't sometimes people like oh it's horrible because he's a yeah. footballer but a lot yeah. of people seem to know the guy personally and have such good things to say about him. like he was widely liked and respected mm-hmm. and he would have fitted Cardiff as a club I think really culturally very well mm-hmm. um, and I think you know Cardiff is a close-knit club it's had a hard time and up and down time of things but if you look at the league now there's no reason why Cardiff can't stay up because frankly uh, you look Brighton 27 points they're in 14th uh, Southampton at 18th 24 points just behind and you've got like five clubs in that cluster and the thing that makes it interesting for Cardiff weirdly enough because their goal difference is about five, six goals worse than most other people's, they have to win. Yeah. So they're actually in a lucky situation where it's cut and dried for them. And sometimes in a relegation battle, yeah. you need it to be black and white. And also, I think it's easier to be looking up than looking down. Right. Because you've got a target, you've got something to chase. And mm. the flip side of that is I think Brighton could struggle. I think Brighton are slipping. There's always one club that plummets exactly. in the last few weeks. And the exactly. thing about Cardiff being Southampton is they've stopped the Hasenhüttl momentum. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't think that's they stopped it. I think it was... Um, I think they stopped it, was, it on the weekend, at least. I th- I think yeah, like, yeah, I think it was Cardiff just playing really, really well, getting the yeah. win on that occasion. I think Southampton will be fine. I think Hasenhüttl's doing, doing great work. And I, I think Southampton will stay up. I think Brighton are a team that should... Be, be concerned. I think Burnley are not out of the woods either. I think Newcastle probably would be okay. It's, but basically Cardiff is still very much alive. Yeah, on that tip, I think that was the first time I'd seen Hasenhuttle after a game be really angry about his team's performance. I right, think yeah. maybe by the FA Cup, but that was penalties and it was a bit different. Yeah, but I think. I wouldn't want to be in training this morning. No, no, Southampton fan, all, all. you know, because they I, are going to get a, a bit of a roll king. I, I'm confident they'll be okay there. Okay, another question. Um, let's have a look. Okay, from Hamdan at Hamdan EB1. Is Rabiot good enough to afford himself turning down Spurs, Barca, and contract extension at PSG, or is he making a massive mistake? In addition, he refused being in the French World Cup reserve squad. Does he have an attitude problem? I didn't. Know. I don't know. That's a good question. I don't think. Well, look. I suppose there's almost nobody good enough to turn those teams down because when you do, there's no one left. There's also no one to play for. <laughs> but I'm not. And I'm not judging. Him. Maybe he's just happy at PSG and wants to make it happen there. Maybe they're on the verge of something really special. Maybe he feels with all the changes. You never know. Like you know, why the reason he's turning these things down is to stay put. Because I if th- he goes to Barca, mm. sorry to jump in, but no, if he goes okay. to Barca and goes to Spurs. It's not an automatic starter in the current setups. Maybe Spurs more so than than Barca. Could I jump in here? Because yeah. I wanted to reference um, David Ornstein was on 
the Ars blog podcast last week. Yeah. Um, he did a, a special kind of going through what had happened through the, the transfer window. And he's very, very highly connected and doesn't yeah. tend to report stuff without being right. on it. And he said that apparently Rabiot is a priority at Arsenal and someone who has been very, very highly regarded for a long time, like very high up there. And I do wonder if there's been contact. And it looks like that, well, he's, I'm not sure if he said this, but he's tended, he tended, seemed to kind of let on that there, there might be something in the works for the summer which is maybe why he's turned down the other ones because I mean I know that Spurs are higher than Arsenal in the league for those kind of players I think um, I still think Arsenal is maybe a slightly bigger draw to some of those players at the moment rightly or wrongly um, I think it's yeah maybe Arsenal have got a bit more well they're able to pay higher wages I think for maybe the history of the French team um, as well and possibly of, but yeah. the thing about and I think Rabiot would it makes sense the Arsenal thing would make sense for him but He's a, he's he's not a great player. No. He's a he's a he's a good player, very good player, capable of of great moments. Um but he's still learning, he's still improving and for him to hold out or dig his heels in for some kind of huge move. Um I think he needs a bit of a reality check to be honest. I think Arsenal I think Arsenal would be good for him. I think Spurs would be good for him, but at this moment in his career he needs to play games I actually think a coach like Poch would be perfect for him though as well, well and Pochettino so. has the, the links at PSG yeah. as well to, to possibly make it happen can I just say something about his defence like if he goes to Barca they just signed Frankie de Jong right yeah. they got Rakitic they've got mm. Busquets they've yeah. got Coutinho he's not going to start no, no. goes to Spurs great team could be a starter but Pochettino might go Pochettino yeah. might go and you've got wing- yeah and so you, Pochettino might go so yeah. all of a sudden you've got this turmoil he might go to a club where there's no sort of so plan for him whereas Arsenal can offer him an actual plan, Ramsey's going, they can literally say, this is where you'll slot in. And in Rabiot's defence as well, I think they came to play against uh, City when Zlatan was still there for PSG. And he was unbelievable. If you put him in the right Chelsea hole, game. Was it, um, Champions League. Champions League, I think yeah, it was. Yeah, he bossed Chelsea sorry, it was in the Chelsea, Champions League. It was Chelsea, I'm sorry. It was Absolutely Chelsea. bossed them, yeah. That's what I mean. So look, Rabiot, I don't think this is actually an attitude thing. This is about having a set place. And if, you're, if you've got a career plan as a young midfielder, not being funny, but he's kind of proven himself that he deserves a big move. And it's a pretty bad sell. If, if someone said to me, oh, do you know what? We're going to move to Barca. It's a reality check for you. And he's looking at De Jong and he's looking at Busquets and he's thinking, I just want to start because he's seen what happens to players yeah. at his own club who don't mm. start. I mean, I don't know enough about this situation or Rabiot personally to kind of comment on whether he's got an attitude problem or not. Judging from a football level, he would slot in, I think, if you're planning your career for the next three, four years, Pochettino might go. That's a different thing than a new manager. Has new I don't plans. know about that Pochettino going thing. I mean, I think that's... I think he's staying. Uh, firstly, no. I think he's, he will stay. And secondly, I don't know if that really... It's not as if it's a cloud hanging over the club or anything. I'm not saying... It's like, I'm not judging it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's simply this. I'm saying if you're moving to a club where you want to have a clearly defined role, right? And you're just making choices. It was like... If you don't know who the coach is going to be, I think it is a factor in your thinking. To be honest, I think Tottenham mean? would actually be, I mean, I obviously I think have he'd be great there. I, I have a great. bias here, but I think it, it would be a great move for him because I think it'd be a great move, yeah. he's, he, would, he would play, he would be starting. Um, yeah, Dembele think, has, has gone, yeah. Wanyama has um, injury problems um, that seems to affect him quite often. Harry Winks is still learning. I think there's. I would a, love Rabiot United. I think a, I'm a huge Rabiot. There's fan. a starting place for he's him. A pro, he's a profile of midfielder. I think Spurs could really do with as well. Yeah. And yeah. actually, Arsenal as well. I think. I think. I think he could. I mean, maybe Bar, maybe Bar City and 
maybe yeah, maybe just Bar City in terms of the top five or six. He'd I think any at, of those teams be would be a smart City. move. He'd be great at City. All right. I think. Yeah, but I'm just talking about places. Yeah. I just don't think he'll play. Yeah. Or I'm, send, um, I'm sending him a DM as soon as we're finished. I'll send him a DM. <laughs> Does he follow you? Well, it can be arranged. <laughs> All right. One more question uh, from Arajit. Please discuss Iwobi. His development under Unai Emery, how he has been filling the gap left by Ozil, how have Arsenal been benefiting from his ball progression? I heard um, Ian Wright say something quite um, quite good on Iwobi, that he gets a lot of flack from Arsenal fans, sometimes rightly so, um, but it doesn't affect his attitude. He's got a really positive attitude. He's always him. trying to do the right thing, make the right runs. He scored the other day and... Yeah, like he's not the perfect player, but who is? Yeah, he's. I think he's he's developed a lot under Emery, especially in the first part of the season. Same with Hector Bellerin, probably one of Arsenal's most important players now. Absolutely. Um, Hector Bellerin, that you've seen since he's been injured, how much Arsenal struggled. Awobi, I think it really depends where he plays, though. I think that when he plays on the left-hand side with Kolasinac behind him, those two have a really good partnership. Mm. You saw against Manchester City that they were on separate wings and neither looked that good. Mm. Um, I still think he has stuff to iron out but I really really like him and actually what you said about his attitude it's really similar to Ramsey mm. Ramsey was really divisive but he would never hide you know you mm. see some players hide in situations like that because they kind of don't want to make the mistake mm. whereas Iwobi never does um, always very positive I really like the guy I really like him as a player he's still very young mm. I think he's uh, I think he's going to be alright Good times. Well, that's that, a nice that little of questions. Yeah. 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 Keep them coming for yeah. next week. Don't forget, please rate, review, five stars on the on iTunes. Find and, us uh, on all social media channels, at Rabona Mag. Yep. Check the website for Moose's Peace going up this week and uh, Batman, The Force and El Clasico's New Age, which went up over the weekend. Michael, you got anything coming soon? So, see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>